Our sermon text will come from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but before we turn that, we'll turn to Psalm 116. So Psalm 116, reading the entirety of that psalm, and then turning over to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 15. So God's word from Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call in the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Then turning over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up, raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. As for the reading of God's word, may bless you. So there's all sorts of precious valuables that are highly prized and sought after around the world. There are the paintings of da Vinci and Picasso. You can find the crown jewels, rare artifacts, powerful technology, 
and bricks of gold and money untold. And in order to protect these treasures, we typically secure them behind lock and key. The thick vaults of a Swiss bank account, the highly guarded tunnels of Langley, or a booby-trapped cave, these are the impenetrable houses for priceless treasures. Indeed, if you had a 50-carat diamond, where would you want to hide it? Well, you would want to put it in someone, someplace very safe. Indeed, the last place you would probably put this precious gem is in one of those old-fashioned piggy banks, where the only way you get into it is to smash it. Now, true, no one might look for your massive diamond in a piggy bank, but once they figure it out, a simple hammer or rock would all they would need in order to get your precious diamond. This would be a pretty bad idea. And yet the Lord has taken his most precious possession, and he has put it in such a place. Indeed, God took the glory of his own son, and he put it in a fragile vase, one bump of the elbow, and it shatters, exposing the treasure within. But the Lord did this seemingly irrational thing to hide treasure in a clay pot so that all the glory might be for him and not in the container in which it was held. Now, as we come here to Second uh, Corinthians, if you think back to the end of chapter 2, there Paul said a shocking and paradoxical image before us. There the apostle thanked God for leading him in Christ's victory parade, but Paul was leading, or God was leading Paul, as a captive unto death. That is, in the midst of God's glorious procession, Paul was the prisoner escort, escort, uh, taken to his demise. And the shocking thing about this image is this odd combination of glory, God's procession, and the humility of death. This was God's glorious tri- triumphant procession in Christ, where pomp marched, graffiti and balloons filled the air. But then you heard the clank of Paul's chains, which eat, which eat, which eat, which each step took him closer to the gallows. Well, Paul has been unpacking this image since he mentioned it at the end of chapter two. And first, he sketched out for us the glory of the Lord in chapter three up to chapter four, verse six. The surpassing glory of the new covenant ministry is the glory of God's victory parade in Christ. But now, in here in verse 7, Paul transitions to move and to address the humility of death. He explains to us how he is being led captive unto death. And Paul makes this this shift by serving us up another image, which is also a familiar dish to us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, this is one of those lines in Scripture that is very memorable. It definitely has claimed a place, place in common Christian jargon. It would even be a cool name for a band. But the question is, what does this phrase mean? But the problem with making such lines Christian slang is that it kidnaps them from the passage in which they were born. The line then becomes an orphan with a confused identity as it remembers not its mother or father. 
Indeed, the image of a clay pot or an earthenware vessel has quite the range of meaning. It could indicate numerous characteristics. It could communicate something that is common and dishonorable, or weak and fragile, cheap or disposable, something plain and ugly, a simple container for storing and preserving, or something that is hidden and unnoticeable. So what does Paul mean by this phrase? Well, to begin with, he, these clay jugs are for storing a treasure. This highlights the sense of an unexpected hiding place and maybe even folly. Again, this is like a diamond in a piggy bank. It may be a sly hiding place, but it's not very smart or secure. Yet Paul specifies God's purpose in doing this so that the exceeding power belongs to God and not to us. God deliberately picks clay pots to show forth his power. Thus, the fragility and weakness of the pot is what is stressed. God chose breakable pots so that it would be evident that the power is his and not ours. Therefore, the clay pots are identified with Paul and his ministry and even with us. Paul and us are the clay pots. And God put his priceless glory of the new covenant in such fragile vessels to show forth his power. Yet verse 7 is only the outline of what Paul means. Now he begins to color in the profundity of this image. And the first colors he uses are these four contrasting pairs in verses 8 and 9, which wherein he lists his sufferings. Though... With these sufferings, Paul's not trying to highlight, per se, specific occasions in which he suffered. Rather, he's being more general to stress that the suffering is the overall manner of his ministry. As well as, these are these pairs are very vivid, and there's lots of actions in these terms. And there's a progressive movement from the first pair to the last one. So first, he's afflicted, or he is pressured or cornered. That is, Jews have told him he can't preach in their synagogue. City authorities pressure him out of the city. Opponents push Paul in a corner, trying to trap him. And yet, Paul's not crushed. He's pressed up against the wall, but he's not smashed into the stucco. He's cornered, but he's not quite boxed in. Next, he's perplexed. Pressed in the corner, Paul is at a loss on how to get out. He looks around and he thinks, how in the world am I going to get out of this predicament? He doesn't know what to think. And yet Paul's not driven to despair. He's at a loss, but he's not lost. His confusion doesn't get, give birth to hopelessness. Think of that dark night in, um, in the Philippian jail. Paul was locked up behind those iron balls, bars, and he had no idea how he's going to get out. And yet this did not stop Paul and Silas from singing psalms to the Lord, perplexed but not despairing. Next, Paul is persecuted. Literally, he is pursued, chased, hounded. It's like he is a fox on a fox hunt, 
The hounds are on his heels. They have his scent and they're closing in the gap. Think of the Thessalonians who chased him out of town. They hounded him to Berea. And they would have pursued Paul further, but they lost his scent. The bang of the hounds was never out of earshot for Paul. And yet, Paul was not forsaken. Now, to be forsaken assumes another party. It's to be abandoned by someone else. Thus, being forsaken was the great curse of the covenant, to be God-forsaken. This was the cry of our Lord upon the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? While to not be forsaken was the crowning blessing and comfort of the covenant. I am your God, and I will never forsake you. Thus, even as Paul is being tracked down, God did not abandon him. The fox ran and they ran, but the fox was not alone. Finally, they catch the fox, and Paul is struck down. This is an image of boxing or hand-to-hand combat. Paul was punched down. He ate the dust. A can was opened up upon Paul, and he went down But Paul was not destroyed. He was knocked down, but he was not knocked out. He was like one of those boxers who keeps getting pummeled and going down, but he never stays down. Eyes swollen shut, face bleeding, but he keeps getting up. The opponent thinks, just stay down already. Like at Lystra, when Paul was stoned and left for dead, Paul got up. And walked away nevertheless. He was down, but he was not out. Well, from these, you can see the progression. Paul is cornered. He is at lost on how to escape. Then he's put to the chase. He is hounded and caught, pummeled to the ground. And this was Paul's ministry. This was his life. Indeed, look how Paul interprets these sufferings in verse 10. He says, always carrying the dying of Jesus in my body. Now, the dying of Jesus are those pains and affliction that caused our Lord's death. These are the same pangs and blows that Paul now experiences in his own body. He shares in the same type of sufferings and shames as our Lord. Additionally, Paul, note what Paul says in verse 11. He says, for the name of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, Paul is continually being handed over to death. That is, death is always before his eyes. It's an ever-present reality for him. He lives in the light that death is always nipping at his heels. Paul is being identified with Jesus in his death. As Paul marches In God's parade, it is as if Paul is carrying the dying of Jesus in his own arms. He has the stench of Jesus' death upon him like a cologne. But note the purpose of this shadow of death over Paul. He says, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in Paul's mortal flesh. As Paul reeks of Jesus' death, so the power of Jesus' resurrected life is revealed through him. In Paul's weakness, the life of Jesus is made known. Indeed, this lines up with the second half of the pairs in verses 8 and 9. 
As was clear, especially by not being forsaken, the second half of these pairs refers to God's deliverance, his power in Paul. Indeed, from these contrasting pairs, Paul comes across as kind of the, uh, as the energizer bunny. He's pressed but not crushed, at a loss but not lost, hounded but not forsaken, knocked down but not out. He takes a licking but keeps on ticking. It's like he is a pot that's full of cracks, but somehow the pot holds together. How can this be? Well, it's God's power and not Paul. In the cracks of Paul's life, the life of Jesus shines forth from within. As one sees Paul holding it all together beyond what you would expect, the only explanation is the life of our Lord. The only power that can keep him together is Jesus within him. In fact, there's a particular goal in Paul being handed over to death. As he says, so that death, so that as death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul carries the dying of Jesus in his body so that the life of Jesus may it work in the Corinthians. This means a God made Paul a clay pot for the good of the saints. And this demonstrates what lies at the heart of death being at work in Paul. This being handed over to death constantly cannot be merely equated with the external sufferings and persecutions. Instead, it is chiefly located in Paul seeking the good of others over his own. It's the mortification of selfishness and self-concern. It's the willingness to endure all these pains and persecutions because he cares for the Corinthians more than himself. The Corinthian spiritual welfare is more important than Paul being pummeled and beat down and getting a bunch of scars. He mortifies the old man. He endures persecution so that the life of Jesus might be at work within the saints. This then is why he moves to mention the way in which the life of Jesus comes to work in them. As he says next, we also believe, so we speak. It is by speaking that the life of Jesus works for their benefit. Through the preaching of the gospel that reveals the glory of God in the face of our Lord. That is, the Spirit works the life of Jesus in the saints as they hear the gospel through Paul. Thus, the speaking about Jesus is integral to Paul's suffering. He's perplexed and pressed, hounded and thrust down because he's preaching the gospel. Paul carries the dying of Jesus in his body because the truth of Jesus is on his lips. Death is at work in him because he's proclaiming the cross, which is the very message that Jesus' life is at work within us. Yes, God put the treasure in a clay pot because it's only in the death of Jesus that you can behold his resurrected life and power. The gospel is the treasure in the clay pot that is eternal life found in the death of Jesus. 
and the life of the minister of the gospel must image the message he preaches, for the one he preaches is Christ himself. Thus the call for Paul's speaking, note, is nothing less than faith. It is by faith that he carries the death of Jesus to keep speaking. By faith he's given over to death for Jesus' sake so that life might be at work in others. And this faith, which flows from Paul's perseverance in speaking, is trusting in something very specific. It is a faith that knows that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise Paul from the dead. It is faith in the resurrection. In fact, this is why Paul quotes, I believed and so I speak. From Psalm 116. In this psalm, the psalmist recalled how God delivered him from the snares of death and how he was rescued from the pains of Sheol. But then the psalmist declares, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints, verse 15. Now it's interesting that the psalmist is praising God here, not just from saving him from death, but more so through death. It's as if the psalmist died, but is alive again. So also here, Paul's faith is not that God will keep him from death, but that he will raise him up after he dies. Indeed, the term for struck down in verse 9 can also refer to killing someone, while Paul most often uses the word for destroy in this verse for the destruction of hell. That is, Paul's faith is in the fact that he will be killed, but he will not be destroyed in Hades. But he will be raised up with Jesus. In this way, the surpassing power is shown to be from God and not from us. Living as a clay pot means that we share in Christ's sufferings. It means speaking the good news of others over your own good in the gospel. For Paul and the ministers of the gospel, this means persevering in the preaching of the good news, no matter the opposition and suffering. And for all of us, it means dying to ourselves and seeking the good of others in Christ, over our own. It's the mortification of selfishness, denying oneself, and carrying your cross. It's holding firm to the good confession of Christ through all of life's hardship. This is how the life of Jesus is revealed in us and through us. Indeed, it's only when the pot is cracked that the glow of the treasure within can shine through. It's only when pieces chip off of you that others get to see the life of Jesus living within you. And this is the very reason why God put his treasure in clay pots. God did not put his treasure in a clay pot to hide it or to keep it safe. Rather, he put it in a clay pot so that it would be discovered and shared as we crack. And splinter. Paul carries the dying of Jesus as he cracks so that the life of Jesus 
might be revealed through him. And this is all for the sake of others. For as the grace spreads the treasure to more and more people, so grace increases thanksgiving to God's glory. God's power and glory is further praised more and more as people share in this treasure. And the only way to get to the treasure is to crack the pot, dying to yourself. The only way to see the life of Jesus in us is through the death of Jesus preached in the gospel. Ultimately, it's the smashing of the pot, the shattering of the jar. Yes, the final way that we reveal the treasure of God within us is when we die well in the Lord. It's to testify to life in Christ even as we take our last breath. In the face of death, it's to keep speaking in faith of the resurrection, of speaking in the gospel, even on our deathbed. Indeed, to a world that fears death and is constantly trying to extend life no matter what, nothing speaks louder of the glory of the new covenant than when we die well in the Lord. As the cords of death seize your body, as you are perplexed at what lies ahead, as you are hounded by death's pains, even as you are thrown down from the land of the living, through all this you can confess in faith that you are not crushed, you are not lost in despair, you are not forsaken, and you are not destroyed. For you have the power of God working in you, to comfort you with the truth that precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. Yes, you have the Spirit who gives you faith unto the resurrection. You have the life of Christ working in you to bring you to your Sabbath rest. Indeed, dying well in the Lord, having your pot shattered, is the means for God spreading his treasure Because this is precisely how you image your Savior. Jesus is equal with the Father, dwelling in an inapproachable light. But for you, Jesus became a man. He became a clay pot. And the only way for Jesus to earn the treasure of God was for him to be shattered. Jesus was cracked and broken for you. The hammer of God's wrath smashed Jesus for your sake. And only his death is meritorious for your salvation. It was only by the smashing of Christ that he could raise to new life and give that new life to you. Jesus was forsaken in death so that God will never forsake you, especially in your death. Judgment and death was at work in Christ so that his righteousness and everlasting life could be at work in you by grace. Thus, this surpassing treasure that you possess by grace is nothing less than the life and the glory of Christ within you. He who died and rose again so that you will rise at him. And so... The very life of Christ is at work in you through all of life's hardship so that you might know 
that it's God's power who saves you and keeps you. Yes, Christ is at work in our mortal flesh so that we might increase thanksgiving unto God's glory, so that we might announce the gospel to more and more unto the thanksgiving of God. Thus, as we carry the dying of Jesus in our mortal bodies, as we die to self and bear our cross, thus may the life of Jesus shine to us for the good of others, for the spreading of the gospel, and to magnify the power and grace of God, who is our salvation now, in this life, and forevermore. Amen.